Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. The Pope and Young Club wants to welcome you as we rally together to ensure our bow hunting opportunities for today and tomorrow. You've come to the podcast that believes in preserving, protecting, and promoting the passion for bow hunting. Join us as we strive to be the voice of today's bow hunter. This is the Pope and Young Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pope and Young Podcast. This is Jason Roundsville. I have with me, as always, Dylan Ray. And today we have a special guest, Jana Waller. Jana, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I know that we've been talking for uh, many months now about finally getting on a podcast, and the day is here. It's so, here. Okay. It's finally here. You know, you know what that was? Is we just wanted to make sure that by the time we had Jana Waller on the podcast, <laughs> that we had enough listeners uh, to make it worth your while. That's what oh, it was. Oh, I like that. I like that. Not true, but Hey, keep it coming. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I didn't anticipate getting fact checked on that, but maybe that was part <laughs> of it. So anyway, um, you know, uh, I know you're a, a big, big supporter of the outdoor industry. You're at all the events and I mean, I've run into you at sheep show and expo and all these different things. And so we just wanted to, to, talk to you and and thank you for that and thank you for being such a great ambassador to hunting and for bow hunting and just find out a little bit about your story i mean you know a lot of people know who you are and 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 your your show and everything and so we just wanted to find out you know how did you get started in first of all how'd you get started hunting well that goes back many 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 decades um but i grew up in wisconsin and most people who know i'm from montana they pause for one second tilt their head a little bit and go you're not from montana though are you because <laughs> that that wisconsin accent tends to tends to give me away quite a bit but i grew up i was the second daughter 
And like, I think a lot of people can relate. My dad was really hoping for a boy and the joke of our family is, well, he just turned me into one. And, but it's really true. Like he definitely saw an innate interest in the outdoors way more than my older sister. My older sister is very cerebral, huge reader. She would always be you know, buried in her bedroom with a stack of books this high. And I was the one always outside, you know, jumping in the puddles and collecting frogs. And so when I was, we always joked about when I was old enough for for him to uh, take, take me along on his pheasant hunts and I could walk in the, in the tall grass without complaining the whole time that that's, that's when it all started, you know? And, um, when I was in high school, so my, my dad actually didn't get into bow hunting whitetails until I was in high school. So at the same time, he was kind of getting into it. I was kind of, you know, just learning a little bit through him, but not really ready to dive into getting a bow. And my high school boyfriend was a little bit into bow hunting. And so I would go sit in the trees for just for like my junior and senior year in high school. And that's a really good way to introduce somebody into bow hunting is just, they don't, you don't have to throw a bow in their hands. Let them see the kind of beauty that they're going to experience being all camoed, whether it's sitting in the woods or climbing the mountains after elk, or it's just really as immersing yourself into nature. And I didn't really have the urge to bow hunt as much. And I really actually love how I started out because it's good advice. I get a lot of emails from, from men who are like, how do I get my girl involved? How do I get my girlfriend or my wife involved? And I always say to them, don't freak them out by throwing a bow in their hands right away. Take them out for a day or two and let them see what it's like being in the woods and what it, what it's like being all camouflaged and seeing nature come alive around you. And, and I can really relate to those women who are like, eh, I don't ever really want to kill anything because I felt that way. Like when I was 16, 17, I kind of was like that when it came to big game animals, man, have I turned it turn the corner but <laughs> i did start off it's like a good turn it's a good corner to turn though right i know yeah. but it's funny i'm glad i started out like that because i can really relate to that i can i can i even remember i mean i'm kind of been known to be the bear slayer i mean i've killed 15 bears and and that's just the start and i'm i love 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 bear hunting and it's funny because i really remember feeling in my in my 20s of like I really love bears. I can't imagine ever hunting them. I started out thinking that way. So like, <laughs> right. I'm, you know, I know what it's like to completely flip-flop that. But anyway, um, I was a freshman at UW-Whitewater and my roommate had a, I might've been, was it the beginning of my sophomore, anyways, freshman, sophomore year. My, my roommate had a friend over and she was talking about bow hunting. And I said to her, oh, I've sat in the trees a bit, but like, I can't pull my boyfriend's bow back. And she now mind you guys, this is 1989. This is a long time ago. And she says, well, you got to get a bow that fits you. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, even my right. dad didn't even like, you know, it, it didn't really like talk about poundage and talk about, you know, that you got to get the right arrow set up and broadhead and poundage and draw length and all that until I met this girl. And she wasn't, a big tough girl. She I, and I literally had the if she could do it, I could do it moment. Yeah. And you know, and it was really pivotal for me. And the next year after that, I I picked up a bow. I I archery. I shot it. You know, targets all summer long. I wanted to feel 
really comfortable in shooting an arrow at a big game animal. And the first season I was ever out there, I got a doe. And that was literally one of the most exciting moments of my life. You yeah. feel primitive. You feel like, ooh, I could do this bow and arrow. Like it's so, and almighty, like I said, back in those days, we had Brenda Valentine, you know, that I, I, I didn't watch, t- I've never been a big, huge TV watcher or even movie watcher. So we didn't have social media back then. There were not a lot of women bow hunters, you know, and then as times ticked on, of course, there was, um, I just remember like seeing how cute Tiffany was, Lee and Tiffany. And I'm like, yeah. that's so cute. This cute little blonde girl, you know, and th- that was a long time ago. And now it is so different with social media. There's, you know, so many strong, inspiring female bow hunters out there. But when I started 30 years ago, it wasn't like that. It wasn't, no one had heard of Facebook, you know? Yeah. Well, the internet was just in its infancy at that time. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's come a long ways. Um, it really has. Now, now with that, where you're looking for now, did, were you specifically looking for those female role models or were you just looking for a bow hunter and say, wow, that guy's a, a tremendous bow hunter. I want to be like that. Oh yeah. Or, I know. Actually, it's funny. I don't really see it gets brought up a lot. The whole female male thing with me, of course. Um, but I've always just been inspired by the hunter. I don't see a difference. I don't hunter huntress. You know, there's that whole debacle of whether you should word, use the word huntress and all that. It doesn't matter to me. I don't care if you're old, young, male, female. It doesn't matter to me. I find inspiration for from everybody, and I find inspiration for people who push the limits of their compound bow. I find total inspiration of people who are traditional bow hunters. I never have been, I've never hunted with a longbow um, or a recurve, but I, it's incredibly inspiring. And, and I respect that. Um, I've always just been a compound bow hunter, but I find inspiration from so many different people. It really, even, even back in the day, like, you know, Tom Miranda, I mean, he's just incredible. And um, I'm trying to think some of the others that I, uh, you know, back, I'm trying to think back pre-social media, but, you know, the first one that does come to mind is, it, it is um, of course, Fred Bear. Everybody knows Fred Bear's story yeah. and inspiration and what a sweet soul he had. And yep. to me, maybe this is being a little female, but I, I gravitate towards a personality just as much as someone who's accomplished tons. Like the, the egotistical bow hunter, you know, like, I, I love us someone's personality and their soul and their reasons behind hunting and doing what they do and in the passion just as much as I do seeing tons of trophies on the wall. And so yeah. there are a lot of people that I, you know, aspire to be like as a hunter, but also as a person who, yeah. who you know, who, who have the characteristics of being humble and gracious. And to me, I, I find that just as inspiring. Yeah, when you talk about that, you know, the name that comes to mind is Jack Frost. It, yeah. Because he is, I mean, you talk about an accomplished bow hunter. If it's been done, Jack probably did it, may have been the first one. Right. And when you talk to him, he's so humble and genuine. And he never says, well, don't you know who I am? He right. He's all about, oh, well, what have you been hunting? And, you know, you're telling him about, you know, some three-point you shot. And, and not realizing he just got back from Mongolia or something. I mean, yeah. it's just, so yeah, yeah those kind of, 
it's amazing. There's a lot of those. And I'm, I'm with you. The guy who has to thump his chest and tell us how good he is. I'm like, yeah, well, you're good enough for, you know, I don't need to follow you because you're that good. So yeah, well, I'll, I'll go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Give my respect over here to the, to the folks who, who do it and, and don't have to. So, yeah, well, that was what was really fun for me this year in attending my first Pope and yeah, which is funny because let's face it. I'm, I'm a, a spectrum of all hunters. As far as age goes, I, I, you know, I'm kind of over here. And so I like to go to my very first Pope and Young convention this year is kind of funny because I'm so involved in so many of the other conservation groups, right. Western hunt expo and the mule deer foundation and Turkey Federation. And, you know, so it's funny that I've never been to one before, but it's because I'm typically at another one, you know, it's so yeah. hard to fit them all in. But, it, but going with John, uh, the auctioneer this year was, it was really, really eye opening for me because while I've been a bow hunter for three decades, I've never really knew what Pope and Young was all about. And, you know, as things have evolved and grown for the organization, it was so refreshing to me because I admit going into it, I, I, I didn't know what Pope and Young really did. I thought they were just a trophy record collector. You know, right. and, we hear that a lot. Right. And to sit there through the convention and to hear the re, the, the rebranding, which isn't really rebranding as much as it is just re-messaging. You're not, you guys yeah. haven't changed anything. It's just, how do we get our message out better? And the fact of, of how you guys presented it at that meeting, it really made me super excited to, you know, proud to be a bow hunter, proud to um, be there and learn more about Pope and Young and the direction of, you know, protecting our hunting heritage. It's not. And one of the most important things about the meeting that I took away was this isn't just a braggadocious trophy, you know, book. This is a, how do you look back and you see the science of it all of like where these record book animals are coming from. And, um, you know, for, different regions of the country and the world. And it's got a way more bigger scientific um, benefit than I had any, any awareness of. Yeah. It's, I think a lot of people are, feel that same way. Yeah. I think that's our biggest goal too, is to, to cast that vision of if you're a bow hunter, you should be proud of the fact that you're a bow hunter and we are your organization as a bow hunter. Um, You know, we want bow hunters to feel a sense of, you know, a sense of pride and, and, and we've heard it several times that, that Pope and Young is exclusive and it's all about exclusivity and, and, oh, they're elitist. Well, what makes you an elitist is the fact that you're a bow hunter. So whether you've not even harvested your first animal yet, or you've got 10 in the record books, you are an elitist just because you're doing it with a bow. And so take pride in that. And then we want you to be a part of us because we are your voice as a bow hunter. Yeah. Yeah, I so agree. And I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a lot more. I'm looking forward to, um, so one thing about me and being a hunter, the last three big game hunter, the last three decades is, um, I'm, I'm not, I really don't, I know I don't score half my animals. I mean, if anyone's ever taken a look at my Instagram account, I'm, I'm really open about posting what my house looks like. And, you know, I'm, I live alone. I live in Montana and every wall in my house has a head mount on it and, uh, dozens in the living room. And it's just, to me, it's my collecting of my memories over the last, you know, three decades. And, um, a lot of them have never even been scored. So I'm kind of looking forward to, um, we've been talking to Dallas a little bit about. Oh yeah. I was going to say, yep. Yeah. I know who's, I know who's going to be doing those. Yeah. 
Yeah. I hope he comes up to the house and uh, spends a weekend and enjoys some uh, mountain time in Montana, but also uh, put a tape measure to some of my animals. Just cure, you know, curiosity's sake. Um, yeah. You know, and, and it's, it's fun to know. And it's, it, you know, I, I look forward to hopefully, I know I've got some of them that'll make the record books, but even if they don't make the record books, it's still really fun to like, it's fun. You see it all over social media, guess the score. And there are yeah. it's such a plethora of guesses because pictures, you know, obviously you can make pictures look bigger and yes. Yeah. So it, it, it'll be fun. I really, honestly, you know, I've been really blessed to take some beautiful animals and half of them, I have no idea even what they, what they score. So, yeah, it's kind of a mixed, you almost get a, a mixed blessing there because if you have an animal that's been officially scored, it is what it is. There's no saying, Hey, I shot a 200 inch buck. Cause you can look on the page and say, Oh, that's a 152 and one eight. Yeah. Still, still a nice, still a buck, but it's yeah. not, it's not a 200 inch buck, you know? And, and I think some people, they don't have them scored. You know, some of them just haven't gotten around to it. Some people don't want them scored because they don't want the truth to come <laughs> out that that's not 200. And even I had, uh, I had an antelope that I got last year scored, and even that one, it's it's not a monster antelope. I'm very thrilled with it. It was yeah. it was the best one I saw on that whole hunt, and we happened to get it. And so for me, total high. But I also look at it, and I had that one scored, and I'm I'm sitting here, and I'm like, okay, I was hoping for you know like seventy five. I was you know whatever number, and I think seventy five is where I was kind of hoping it would be. Yeah. And it wound up coming in at seventy two, and I'm like, you know, I just I just got truthed. So I, I think that's why some people don't do it is they just, they don't want the score to go down so much. Yeah. 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 I'm sure that's a part of it too. And like, I've always, I, even before my career in the hunting industry, I have always just felt so strongly that if the hunter's happy, I'm happy for them. And yeah. every single situation is so different. Every hunt is so different. I just got out of the mountains on Saturday. I backpacked into the Utah mountains with Polly and Dee, two of my best friends. It was a muzzleloader hunt. And even though I, I definitely am a strong bow hunter, I've been bow hunting over 30 years. I also muzzleloader hunt, rifle hunt, pistol hunt, shotgun hunt. You know, I just, I love it all. Yeah. And um, this was a muzzleloader hunt where we, once we got to the trailhead, we hiked, you know, over four miles in, lived out of a tent in our backpacks for five and a half days. I ended up, to, I said to Polly, I will shoot any mature deer back here because it's a trophy. I want to be able to cook tenderloins on the campfire. I want to fillet the heart, season it up and eat it at, at the camp. And, you know, it, the, it, and I ended up taking a smaller three point, smallest mule deer I've ever shot. And yet I feel it was so earned and I'm just absolutely thrilled with it. I self-filmed it all. I'm going to put the episode out next month. And to me, that's a true adventure. It doesn't always have to be about the size of the trophy. At the same yeah. time, I'm willing to admit that the bigger, the better. And it's so exciting when you do have a hunt that yeah. you're surprised and you get, you walk out of there with a high scoring animal. That's so exciting too, but it's just not all about that to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where you have to take the, the experience for what it is and get the very best experience you can. And yeah. sometimes that's a monster buck. Other times it's, it's not. And right. it's, uh, you know, Dylan and I cannot say that the smallest mule deer we've ever shot is a three point. So <laughs> there's, 
there's some spikes and perking horns that have hit my freezer. So, oh, oh, hey, my, my, uh, I always laugh so hard because I'm from Wisconsin, right? And in Wisconsin, you're, if you're looking at a five by five, you're looking at a 10 point, you know, yeah. and so it's really funny. People still don't really see that crossover or they give me a hard time about it. And I got to remember that when I'm back in Wisconsin to flip that or, you know, the Midwest. But, yeah. um, I actually had, have a funny, time telling people I shot a one by one or spike, but it was with my bow and we were in Wisconsin. It was the last day. My mom, who was not a hunter at all. Um, my parents are divorced. My, my mom, not a hunter lives alone is like, give me some venison, give me some sausage. Mom, I'm going to fling my arrow. I promise. I promise. I'll take a dough for you if I need to, whatever. Well, in comes this spike and he's got one like this and one like this kind of wrapped down around his face. Coolest little spike I've ever seen. And at that time, at my dad's property up there, like if I didn't shoot it, someone else was gonna, you know, like that kind of thing versus, this was a long time ago, versus management of the herd. And anyway, yeah, super proud, one by one. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's interesting you mentioned like taking venison to your mom, who's a non-hunter. We just, I just had a call with Shane Mahoney last week and his Wild Harvest Initiative. And it is... They're doing a study like you'd never believe all across the world on wild game and how many people it actually feeds. And it's in the tens of millions. It's ridiculous. Each, each, each person that hunts they're they're saying is hitting like eight other people who weren't part of the hunt. It's really tremendous. Yeah. I was at uh, a luncheon uh, probably three years ago. Shane was there. It was in Missoula, right? It was after a meeting we'd all had at the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. And I just find, I found Shane. This was the first time I had met him and listened um, to him. And he was just so full of knowledge and, and so interesting. And I love the fact that he said, when you think about it, we need to reach, we, the antis, they're in another world, right? And yeah. every, it's going to be very rare to reach one of them. We need to reach the non-hunters yes. who maybe don't want to hunt themselves, but are supportive of hunting and understand the benefits of wildlife conservation and all that comes with it. And he goes, and just the aspect of the sh- sharing of the meat. You don't ever come home from Costco and they're like, I'm going to cut these ribs up and take them over to my neighbor. No, no one ever does that. But you come home from a hunt and you sometimes have extras, especially if two or three or four of the family hunt. And you may share that with your hairdresser or your neighbor or, you know, maybe someone you owe them a favor to. You take them some, you know, beautiful hamburger or processed sausage. And that's really communal. And And it goes back, you know, thousands of years of, sharing in the bounty of the hunt. And I love that aspect of it. I, yeah. I, that, that buck that I packed out of the Utah backcountry, I brought it, I met up with John Saturday. We um, took care of the meat Saturday night, Sunday, we delivered a bunch of it over to his daughter and she texted him the next day and said, those steaks were amazing. It's yeah. so fun to be able to share like that. And you're, I would, I can't wait to see Shane's study about that. Yeah. I, now see for me, I'm like, no, the elk stays home, but, but I'll give away salmon and crabs and seafood like that all the time. So that's yeah. uh, not my favorite, but boy, that the elk stays home. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's so interesting how many people get touched by it, even that aren't out there. And now how, so got, got started hunting. So that was college then. Yeah. Big game. Okay. Yep. Yep, All right. I, I think I was. Mm-hmm. And then when did you 
say, hey, you know what? This would be a phenomenal way to, to, you know, to be in the industry. I want to be in the hunting industry. Yeah. Well, I did. It didn't really process it like that. So I, I graduated college in 94 um, with public relations and marketing degree. And I spent a bunch of years not knowing really what I wanted to do. But I did. I worked uh, for Edward Jones Investments for over a decade. And then um, I went through a divorce and I had met my ex. Um, actually, this funny story. We actually met because we were both in Bowhunter Magazine at the same time. So I posted something on Facebook and I was brand new to Facebook at the time. And I posted something like, you know, just sold my article called Independence Day. It was about climber tree stands and being independent and not having to ask my dad to move my ladder tree stands around, you know? Right. And um, he had been in, um, actually, he said, what issue are you in? Because I just sold them one of my articles, Kingdom of the Brown Bear, where he filmed this huge brown bear going down. And so that's how we got talking, um, started dating long distance, ended up moving out to Montana. And he had been a producer of hunting shows. And so mm. we decided to start our own. And he branched off from a company he was working with, started Skullbound. I had, we named it that because I'm a skull artist. Right. And I had been doing that on the side for years just for fun. So anyway, we started, hey, let's start our own show. You know, I'd been a, a bow hunter and a gun hunter. And um, there weren't at the time, this was 12, 13 years ago, there really weren't very many solo female hosted shows on either outdoor or sportsman's channel. Okay. So we filmed a bunch of hunts, put together a pilot, went to SHOT Show, pitched it to sportsman's channel. And right away he said, we want it. And it was game on from there on. And then it was just hunting, gathering footage, telling stories. I really wanted Skullbound to be strong on conservation. So we put a conservation right. minute within the content of almost every episode. And um, just really showing viewers that we're animal lovers and that through both, you know, the Pittman-Robertson Act and buying tags and licenses and all the money that goes back to wildlife management in this country, I really wanted to show that. I thought it was really missed on most hunting shows. And so long story short, did that for nine seasons, nine years on the Sportsman's Channel. And then I wanted, you know... Things are just kind of changing with network TV. People are going digital, whether it's YouTube, Carbon, uh, My Outdoor TV. There's a lot of different platforms. And I wanted to play around with Carbon TV because I knew they were owned by hunters. And unlike YouTube, that I used to throw a little bit of stuff up on YouTube, but it got censored a lot. I'm a big, right. big predator hunter. YouTube doesn't like predator hunting. And so I ended up just putting a, my first season of Skullbound Chronicles on Carbon TV was a recap of the last 10 years, just highlighted hunts. And that did really, really well, well that the next year I jumped ship off the network. I went all digital. And so now I'm in season three of Skullbound Chronicles on Carbon TV. And the beautiful thing about that for me is that I'm kind of now gone from a two-man band to a one-man band. I'm executive producing my own show. I host it. I hire my cameraman. I've got an amazing editor, Heath Helgert, who is the best of the best, who's right in the bitter root with me. So we're super nice. close. Yeah, it works out really, really well. And um, it's gone great. I love Carbon TV has been a great platform for me. I love the fact I can send links to everybody. It's free. It'll never be a charged platform. And um, so seasons two and three have been all brand new episodes. And I'm super, super excited that next year, season four is going to be an all veteran season. It is wow. 
my 13 favorite veteran episodes that I've done in the last 10 years, taking combat veterans into the mountains. Um, Most of them are elk hunts. There's a couple, uh, I think there's one deer hunt, there's an antelope hunt, and there's two females within those 13 episodes that were um, uh, awesome episodes. So all of them except one is are already in the can, so I already know how great they are, and uh, meaning just incredible stories. These guys like Eric Galvin, who's a triple amputee, who climbed the mountains in Wyoming with me until he wow. shot his elk, and yeah, just super inspiring, and I feel like with the crazy world we're living in right now, we need these patriotic stories for not only our hunting heritage, but for our, you know, America. Amen. Like just to, you know, inspire people to understand what our veterans truly go through both overseas and when they come home. And uh, I'm just so excited to share all these great stories. Yeah. I just watched thing the other day about, uh, for the making of Forrest Gump and Gary Sinise, and he played, you know, a double amputee there and how, you know, he's with, got with disabled American veterans and, ha- and started a whole foundation for that just to help them when they come home. Cause people don't he, think about that. He's an amazing human being. His foundation built a home for Jonathan Blank, who is a double amputee uh, Marine that I took last year. It's, it's such a good episode. It's actually on the end of season two of Skullbound Chronicles. Jonathan climbs the mountains, ends up getting this great bull. And, uh, oh, it's one of my favorites. Um, but it's already out there. If people want to go watch it on, on uh, Skullbound Chronicles on Carbon. But yeah, Gary Sinise Foundation built his home right here in wow. Utah. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's all state of the art. It makes his life. He's a way high, like at the hip joint amputee. The house is so beautifully designed, the bathrooms, the entranceway, just so it make his life easier. And nice. look what he gave up for our country. I think yeah. he deserves that. And um, there's a lot of foundations out there that aren't so great and like, you know, are pretty, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, you know, just not what they claim to be, but the Gary right. Denise Foundation is one of the really good ones. I work a lot with Wishes for Warriors. That's another great okay. organization that gets veterans, you know, into the woods, into the mountains, on the water fishing. But now they're starting to branch into getting them even even on a weekend golf event or rock climbing, or they just did a huge whitewater rafting trip where these Mm. guys camped out for days. And people don't understand that. And I'm not even saying that I fully understand it, but when combat veterans come back and they um, have to acclimate back into society with sometimes having their friends die in their arms and just the atrocities they've seen overseas and it can be often hard to get back. And then you watch the news or you're surrounded, you know, by social media that is so disrespectful to our country, our flag, people are kneeling during our anthem, which makes me disgusted. And, you know, it's hard. It can be really hard for these men and and some women who happen to be, um, you know, in combat or medics or whatever. And it, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy time we live in right now, but um, I'm hoping that, that this next season will, you know, make people go put that flag up on their door. You bet. And where do people find that? Where's the best place for them to go? I mean, most of our listeners are, are going to know all about you and where to go, but, but for those that haven't, where do they find Skullbound? Yeah. Skullbound Chronicles is on carbontv.com. So they can watch it right on their laptops, computers. They can download the carbon TV app, watch it on their phones for free. If you have Roku, Fire Stick, or you have an Apple TV, it's right in the menu. 
Um, And if it's not in, like, for example, um, if you have a Roku stick, it has the menu and it's got Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, all these other things. Just go to the search and type in Carbon TV and you can actually put that little square right next to your Netflix and Amazon. Nice. Okay. Yep. Watch it right on your TV. I know a lot. I'm still, if I'm going to watch hunting shows, I want to watch it on the big screen. I'm still like that. And so I've got Roku sticks. They're like 30 bucks and that's it. It's not a monthly thing. Super cheap or Amazon Fire Stick, same thing. Or if you have an Apple TV already, go into the menu, plug in, type in search Carbon TV, put it right in your menu and there's new episodes upload daily outstanding okay well that gives people an idea where they can go if if they haven't already found you where they can go to find you and then uh so what are some other things that you have coming up i mean what are hunts that you've got coming up what are you excited about for the next uh i'm so excited that i have a montana sheep tag in my pocket it was just yeah um i did make a decision so you know people may agree or disagree. Uh, I'm a big bow hunter, but I also am a rifle and a muzzleloader hunter. I have to say that it's also my business. I mean, that's no surprise. This is my, what I do for a living. One of my best partners who has been with me since day one has been Nosler. And so when I do the sheep tag, I talked with Mason at Nosler and I said, you know, I really, I really want to do a Nosler hunt. Not that, I mean, I could bow hunt it. It's definitely more of a challenge. Um, but I'm doing it DIY. I'm not hiring anyone to do it. It's about the unit is about an hour and a half, two hours from my house. Um, I've already scouted it a bit. I've done some filming in there. I am heading back on Saturday and I'm going to give it another five days starting Sunday, um, in the unit, camping out, hiking up in every day, looking for sheep. And then I've kind of, for the first time in 12, 13 years, I have set aside November for my sheep in case I'm not successful in October right. and being that I'm doing it DIY. I'm literally every day, every minute I have time, I'm going on to Onyx. I'm looking at their 3d saying like, what kind of, what does a terrain look like? And as right. the weeks tick on the sheep are going to, the sheep ruts going to kick in. They're going to be moving down out of the wilderness. They're going to be moving down into the lower terrain. And so November is, I guess the time, especially for that unit, but super, super excited about that. I've got another veteran hunt here in Wyoming for elk that I'll be taking veteran Blaine Scott at the end of of October. I'm excited about. I do still have an elk and deer uh, archery tag in my pocket for Montana if I happen to get my sheep. So this it's you got a lot going on. I do. I do. And it's kind of exciting that I'm doing this podcast today. Because today is the first day that I can announce I have just been appointed by Governor Gianforte. I am Montana's newest commissioner for Fish Wildlife. Wow. Congratulations. That's you awesome. are going to be fantastic in that yeah. role. And Thank we so need much. more people like you on those commissions because you well, look at. It's an honor. I was a, I'm a, I'm a little um, overwhelmed I, um, just because it's a, it's a big it's a big deal. It's a big time commitment. It's a big deal. I want to be. Uh, I want to represent region two of Montana as best I can. Obviously I'm very pro hunting, pro fishing, pro trapping, pro predator hunting. Um, But I feel like, especially after talking with the governor about this position and hearing his stance on things, I'm really proud that he chose such a strong hunter and such a strong predator hunter. You know, that makes me really happy. Uh, I love Montana. I love our wildlife. 
I love our public lands. Um, all of it needs to be protected, but it needs to be managed as well. And so yeah. I'm excited. It's going to be a big time. Wow. Congratulations. That's exciting. That's Thank exciting you. for you and for everyone out there who ever has dreams of hunting Montana. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like, uh, um, maybe because of my public relations degree, but I feel like I've got a good open ear. I want to hear all angles to every topic. Um, you know, wildlife management is very complex. Um, I want to hear from the biologists. I want to hear from the, the, the regular Joe Hunter. That's what I am. I mean, typically if I'm hunting an outfitter, I'm not always, but a lot of times I give those hunts to my veterans that I go with, but I'm the blue collar DIY hike in the backcountry type of hunter. I, I mean, I, I, I count on my public lands to hunt and, and so, yeah, it'll be good. There's a lot of issues going on right now that are hot topics, but I'm looking forward to diving in and, and representing as best I can. So. Well, I know you'll, you'll represent us very well. So thank you for doing that. I know it's a big commitment and it's, it's a true honor and, and we're dang glad to have you in there. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Yeah. And it's, you know, as far as that sheep, they, they say, if you want to take a sheep with a bow, you have to leave your rifle at home. <laughs> and yeah. uh, I have a, a very good mutual friend of ours, won a sheep hunt while I was with them at the, the expo two years ago. And he almost didn't take it because, because the outfitter didn't want to take a bow hunter. Uh-huh. And all of a sudden he's like, well, you know, you just have it back then. And I'm like, I went a sheep hunt. I, you can pick the caliber. You just tell me what caliber to bring. I mean, I'm the Pope and young guy and I'd still be like, yep, pick a caliber. I've got one in the safe. And, and yeah. I've got some of those. Now I've got a few of those Nasa rifles. They're, they're really good. Uh, really good yeah. piece of equipment. Nice Oregon company just over the hill from me. So yeah, just they're don't people. Yeah, just don't tell them I'm shooting horny bullets out of those though. No, they're, no, they're I, won't, I won't, I won't tell them. Um, so. yeah. And you know how it is. There are some guys I've run across to, um, you know, they're very hardcore archery or traditional archery and that's the only way to do it. And da, da, da. And that's okay. You know, we all yeah. have our opinions. I love it all. I, I, you know, I think I get the most satisfaction in bow hunting. Um, but I also have had a lot of fun picking up the pistol lately and I've taken yeah. a notch. Five bears. Yeah. yeah. Oh, bears, uh, javelina, a turkey in Texas, uh, hogs. Yeah, it's really fun. Um, but yeah, I love it all. I, I mean, I don't discriminate when it comes to weaponry. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I have a, a very high respect for when I'm out there with my bow, but I, I'd say I'm a hardcore hunter first and then a would be a bow hunter second. So yeah. I like to, I, you know, I like to be out there and, you well, know, the more that, opportunities you can, the the better your chances of being out there. Yeah, absolutely. And every hunt is so different. Like if I'm coming down to it at the end of the season and I'm out of meat, because I really do give my meat away a ton and I, I live alone, but I still, I've got tons of neighbors who want it. I have family who wants it. And then John here in Utah, his family wants. So like, um, it all depends. And obviously there's way more of a challenge with a bow than with a rifle or even a muzzle loader. But every, I think every hunt is so different, at least for me it is. And um, yeah, I, it, with COVID, 
things, turning our world so upside down and crazy and people going to the grocery stores and finding the meat aisles bare and yep. you know, um, because of the transportation, no fresh produce, blah, 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 blah. You know, I have gotten so many messages from people who want to get into hunting because of the organic grass fed aspect of filling their freezers. And I think that's a beautiful thing too. And obviously I fill my freezer a lot quicker when I'm rifle hunting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is the case. It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, I do have to say though, my favorite wild game meat I have ever had has come via my bow. And that is Sitka in Maryland, which I didn't even know that hunt existed. You know, they're not, okay not indigenous to Maryland. They were brought over at the turn of the century. I, uh, Dale Gertz, a friend of mine had, had approached me at a shot show said, come do it. It's an amazing bow hunt. And they bugle like little elk, which is so cool. And they're like very aquatic. And like the first night I went out to my tree stand, we had to wear waders up to here and we're sloshing through the swamps and just, you feel like you're almost in Asia, which is where they're huh. derived from. But that meat, that was the most incredible it tasted like venison but with no gaminess whatsoever and almost sweet like a sweet probably a lot like um texas uh help access me thank you yes yeah you a lot a lot like access which i've never had so um but that yeah i do have to say i always say my favorite game i meet i have ever had and i eat everything mountain lion yeah. bear you name it coyote and wolf no but everything else yes but my favorite wild game meat was that sick of deer out of Maryland. Yeah. That, you know, that was an amazing bow hunt. Probably the sweetest meat I've ever had was, was Eland in yeah. Botswana. That was I very sweet. With my bow. Yep. And, nice. Yeah. And that was, you're right. That was delicious as well. Um, that, that trip, I shot a heart of beast with my bow, an ostrich with my bow and an Eland and all ate at camp. And that's, what's so fun to me about Africa, which I'm hoping to go again next year is, um, just the different types of game meat that you get to try the different recipes and so much yeah. fun giving them to the people who work at the camp. Oh you know, yeah. They depend on that. Absolutely. And to be able to everything. And there are certain things that I have not hunted, but I've been with other hunters in camp when I've been to Africa, like zebra, giraffe, elephant, whatever. But every single piece of that animal gets utilized. And that's a beautiful thing in my book. Yeah. You know, when I was there, I, I didn't want to shoot a zebra. Yeah, and my, my pH from day one was, oh, you need a zebra? And I'm <laughs> like, no, no, I don't. And so finally, like right at the end, they, he just made me a deal that I just couldn't refuse. So everybody, he says, hey, you know, if you shoot a zebra, every, everyone in camp will call you your royal highness, Chief Jason. I said, <laughs> I'm like, you know, and over there, that means something because there there's like, you know, royalty and, and chieftains and things. I'm like, really? I said, for how long? I, I said, and, until I leave, until I'm on the place. Oh, yeah. So, you know, that was part of why I did it, just because I've always wanted to be a royal highness. So <laughs> That's that's well, I hope you brought home the beautiful rug. I did. I yeah. did. And it's oh. uh it was a, it was actually a, a wonderful hunt, a great experience, and it's the only way I was ever going to touch royalty. <laughs> I like it. I like yeah. it. But you know what's really funny is people love to critique, you know, cowboy, keyboard cowboys, you, you know, they're out there in full force on social media. And 
I, there are certain things I don't really have an interest in hunting, but more power to it. How, I mean, how hypocritical for people. I, it cracks me up all the time when I see someone like I hunt, they're from like the Midwest or East coast. I hunt deer, but I would never kill a bear. And I'm like, they just, they really don't understand how hypocritical that is. And how, you know, if you like to hunt deer, you want to manage your black bears because they do tremendous amount of damage on deer populations. And, but it's just so funny. I, Again, back to the, if their hunter is happy, I'm happy. If it's yeah. ethical and, and legal, I don't, I just don't think it's our place to judge one another for our hunts, but it, certainly people are out there in full force doing it, but um, they really don't think sometimes of the whole management you know, right. system that, that takes place when you are, because obviously white-tailed deer, number one species in our country that's hunted more than anything else. And people, and I love that. And they need to be. I mean, could you just imagine if we didn't hunt? Oh, how many deer? cars would go by the wayside? We, we don't have enough. We can't get enough microchips to make cars fast enough for all the white-tailed damage, I don't think, right now. Oh, it's incredible. And it's funny to me when you, I've seen anti-hunter, anti-hunting arguments where they'd rather they die a slow, painful Ugh. death of chronic wasting disease or, you know, or, uh, you know, um, um, again, starvation or oh, winter, oh, winter kill or at the hands of a mountain lion or bear Ugh. or pack of coyotes. And it's just so funny to me that, that they think that that's more, uh, morally or eth- more ethical than a, you know, bullet or an arrow that takes seconds yeah. in clean kill, then all the meat gets utilized. And I just truly believe from the bottom of my heart, it is what we human beings were meant to do. We are meant to take care of the land and take care of the herds and the flocks and the fish. And, and in doing, in, in being a hunter, that is how we're doing that. That's how we're carrying forth that mission. And it's the hunters that are doing that work. It's the yeah. hunters that saved the white-tailed deer. It's the hunters that saved the wild turkey. It's the hunters exactly. who have saved the wood duck. And, you know, it. these aren't outside entities that came in and told hunters, you had to stop taking these and you had to start managing. These were hunters that put it on themselves. Yep. And people don't understand that. It's like, we love the resource. We're here for that resource. And so if it means we have to cut back this year for next, we'll do that. Right. And, you know, I mean, I, I've been in conservation for over 30 years and I've, I've in 30 years, never had a non, an anti-hunter. I've had non-hunters. I've never had an anti-hunter come up and say, Hey, you know what? I care about wildlife. Here's a check for $10,000 for wildlife habitat. Right. But I couldn't count on all of our hands the number of people who number of hunters that I've have done that over there the was years. a brilliant article in Forbes magazine or Forbes.com and just two weeks ago, so you could easily find it. Um, it written by I think his name author was Chris Dorsey, and it's just it was titled um, Anti Hunters and Animal Rights versus Hunters who truly gives back to animals or who truly cares about the animals. Yeah. And it was a beautiful piece who, and he spells it out about the dollars that hunters contribute back to wildlife conservation right. efforts, wildlife management, how anti-hunting groups like PETA and Humane Society of the United States, how they are just a money driving system that has red flag warnings all over it, that they do very little for animals. Yeah. I, when I first saw that title, I thought, oh, here we go. Especially seeing that it was in Forbes. 
And yeah. it, I was so excited to see that article written being so pro hunter. It was, it's a beautiful thing. Finally, finally some real news in the news. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they, they ignore facts all the time, but maybe somebody didn't in this case. Yeah. You know, I, was, yeah. yeah. I, I got to have a conversation with a gentleman the other day and, uh, he was alive for the very first bow season in Kansas. No, oh. I'm sorry. The very first hunting season in Kansas. And, uh, and he said, you know, back then it wasn't like we see deer. Like it was, you know, if you saw a deer, it was like a, that was a special thing. Like it was like a, oh my gosh, I just saw a deer. He's like, now, yep. I mean, you see them everywhere. You see herds of 40 in a field while you're driving down the road. And, and, you know, his, his whole thing was like, there was a, there's a disconnect between non-hunters. They don't understand that, that by killing them, we're helping populations grow. And, and so it was a, it was an awesome testimony to hear a guy who, who was literally there for the start of it. And to say, you know, we would all 40 of us go out and, and see one deer all year between the 40 of us, you know, and now obviously we, you know, see tons of does and bucks and, and there's world records being killed every year. And, and I mean, he's like, it's just a testament to our conservation plan. And, it was just a really cool testimony to hear him talk about. I love it. I've only yeah. had one of those conversations with a anti one time that was actually a beautiful conversation. It, I was sitting on an airplane. I got all situated in and I had an African-American gentleman, a professor from McGill sitting next to me and he super nice guy. And he said, so what do you do? And in my mind, I thought this is going to get interesting. I said, well, I actually host a hunting television show. And the first words out of his mouth were, you're not one of those NRA nuts, are you? And I go, as a matter of fact, I am. Life we, member. <laughs> yeah. And we had a, yeah, exactly. We had a two hour conversation and he was from inner city Chicago, but he was a professor at McGill. He, um, it was the only time I've ever had a very respectful, polite, full, insightful conversation with, he was a vegan he was very anti-gun growing up in inner city Chicago. And I got an email from him the next day that said, you have my wheels in my brain spinning. He said, I've never heard, especially a woman, talk about guns the way you do, talk about hunting the way you do, talk about sitting in the woods. And we talked archery, guns, everything. Um, sitting in the woods and, and, and harvesting your own meat and... In it, and he basically just, in short, went on to say, thank you so much for your perspective. He didn't say it changed his mind. He didn't say any of that. But he, it was just so nice to get an email from him to where he had just never thought about guns being a positive thing. I said to him, one of the most brilliant things that could ever happen is for inner city kids, all walks of life, to be able to spend a weekend in the woods. And, and he agreed. He said, I guarantee half half of the kids who go to my high school in Chicago have never even seen a cow. Like, yeah. you know, and we forget that sometimes we get such tunnel vision, you know, especially all of us who live to hunt, we're out there all the time. We forget that there are people, especially in the cities who maybe have never even thought about sitting for a couple hours in the woods and what God, I feel sorry for them. Right. Yeah. I know. Me too. And, uh, but it was a really, I, I refer to that conversation a lot because unfortunately when I'm having a conversation with an anti, usually like I get a lot of name calls, name, you know, the B word and yeah. the C word come out at me and all these other beautiful things on social media. And I go yeah. block or ban or, yeah. you know, delete. And, yeah. uh, 
but uh, it is true. We have to remember that people, we often are products of our environment and that when we are talking to someone about uh, talking to a non or an anti about hunting, we have to remember to tell them, uh, you know, because if, if all they've seen is mainstream media, then they think we're just like, like that movie Wolverine that we're, you know, got a big old wad of tobacco in our lips. We're shooting from the truck and we're drinking while we're, you know, I mean, that's what they portray us hunters to be like often. Yeah. And we have to remember um, that we, a lot of people have no idea yeah. why the passion is there. Yeah. And most of us are not like that. <laughs> no. so, but let's, let's face it in every category of human beings, in careers or hobbies, whatever you want to talk about, there's always going to be the few that ruin it for the rest of us. There's always going to be the poachers that all of us are so embarrassed about, you know, you know, there's always going to be the, the, the idiots who involve, you know, alcohol with their hunts, you know, uh, during that, you know, um, there's always going to be those that can, can, can I ruin up for the rest of us, but we still have to trudge on and do a good job and try to communicate about why we love it so much. I get so frustrated at times when people lump poaching in with hunting. Oh, I'm like, you you have no idea. I'd be the first one on the phone to call that in. Yep. Okay. As a hunter, that's my resource that they're stealing from me. And, you know, you, you see TV commercials. Oh, the hunting of, you know, mountain gorillas, but you can't hunt a mountain gorilla. No. That is straight up poaching. There is no right. hunting. That's poaching. You can't. And they just confuse the two. And it's like, there's a, that's completely different things. That's like the same thing as, you know, going grocery shopping or, you know, walking in the park. They're just completely different things. They have no basis of the same. Well, and so. mainstream media is really guilty of that. You know, yeah. they're so guilty of uh, insinuating such negativity whenever uh, they only report the negative side of hunting, you know, the yep. poaching or or they'll take, you know, an Africa hunt and exploit it in in or they'll I've even seen articles where it's a darted rhino hunt where they're gathering scientific you know data from that rhino and then releasing the rhino. And I've seen it completely skewed and, you know slaughtering of rhinos da, 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 da. you know it's just i same thing with me i my blood yeah. just boils but yeah and it's it's uh my my background is actually uh, my degrees in wildlife biology so i've had the population dynamics courses and everything and it's like you know um i had a friend of mine he said uh, somehow what was it elephant hunting came up and they said, yeah, you know what? I, I like elephants. I'm glad you can't hunt them. And I said, well, that's interesting because I was in Botswana during the shutdown and it has destroyed villages, cultures, people, people lost their entire way of lives. And you don't care. You don't care that that entire village is gone. That was supported by a very selective elephant harvest. It doesn't bother you at all. Right. Well, but it saves the elephants. No, actually, it doesn't. It's called carrying capacity. Yep. You can only have so many of whatever it is, so many elephants, so many whitetails, and then there's a crash. So yep. it's, um, yeah, I, I had a pretty, pretty harsh conversation with them because I was just like, I can't believe you're saying this. You know better and you're still saying it. So th- yeah. they won't, they won't say it again. Well, what's <laughs> sad is like we, 
you know, it's hard to break into that mainstream media arena, you know, like, obviously, I would bet you 99% of your listeners are hunters, you know, that's a great thing. And hopefully, you know, someone's driving down the road and, and, you know, getting inspired to, to get out there more, but it's really hard. So that's why I think it's such a beautiful thing. It's rare, but beautiful. Like when Joe Rogan, for example, the number yeah. one podcast in the world, he just got off an elk hunt with Cam and, you know, that he's talking about the delicious meat and the, you know, breathing in the mountain air and feeling so appreciative of his body, especially after he had had COVID recently, you know, like mm. I wish there were more high profile people in this, in this world who would stand tall for hunting like Chris Pratt and and, um, you know, some athletes that I know of, it's a beautiful thing. There just needs to be so much more of that because it's hard for us to branch into mainstream media. Yeah. You know, and- I heard somebody the other day talk about, and they were talking about an athlete, uh, a very famous athlete. And they said, well, I, I can't tell you who it is though, but they're a big hunter. And I'm like, that's the problem. Is yeah. yeah, that is the problem. They claim they're hunters, but they can't let the world know about it or they'll get flack. And I'm like, that's I, the problem. Yeah, I actually know a lot of um a lot of fame when I say famous, a lot of famous people uh in the music industry that are told because of their labels they absolutely cannot post or talk about hunting. And that's that's hard. And it's not for me to say, well, shame on them. It, it, look, that's their career. I can't make, you know, I I can't make those decisions for them, but it certainly does make me respect those that stand real tall and proud yeah. to be hunters, you know like Sheldon and, you know, uh, Justin, uh, uh, Luke Bryan, uh, you know, who have such huge platforms and they're yeah. tall. They stand tall behind that. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. I guess, I guess it's easy for me because I've, you know, for the last 30 years, my job has, has been, you know, alongside the hunting industry, but yeah. I yeah. can't imagine not, I just can't imagine not being a hunter. I mean, having to hide that, you know? Yeah. I, good luck. I, I mean, I'm here to promote it and try to yeah. encourage everybody I can to get out there. And, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it would be, it would be, I would feel like a just total sham, you know, like yeah, if I couldn't speak my mind. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's just, they're probably just in a whole nother world where, you know, if that gets out, they're going to get, you know, I mean, Hey, you want to criticize me? Great. You've, you know, you can find, I'm easy to find, but some of these folks, you know, I guess maybe they, they probably have a little more to, to lose or to risk. So so speaking of that, here's a funny story. Okay. Um, Speaking of, 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 uh, that I'm not hard to find. You were out last year. Oh, actually now it's been about a year and a half ago. And uh, when we did COVID canceled our Virginia convention, like, three weeks out. And so we did a quick transition. John, John bear, who we love working with, he is the best of the best. He, he offered to do, to help us with a live online auction in place of our in-person Virginia thing. So we zoomed out to Utah and met up with him. You came along and we had such a great time that there were only, you know, like 10 or 12 of us there, but it was such a great time and of course he did wonderful with the auction. And then you drew our raffle winner for us and we gave away that great big hunt. And uh, it's funny. Cause I had a couple of friends of mine. They said, Hey, 
Jay, guess what? And I'm like, what? They said, I got, I got good news. I got bad news. I said, okay, tell me. They said, well, uh, bad news is your, your cell phone number just got spread out to every single person on Facebook. <laughs> I said, hmm, I hadn't really thought about that. And I, I said, well, what's the good news? And they're like, Jana Waller did it. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, all right, I'll take that. So it was, but I remember, I think we were leaving a voicemail for the, I think you were leaving a voicemail and I, I was, I was feeding you my cell number so you could leave it on his voicemail. And it, I yeah. think that went out over Facebook live. So did you get any, did you get any ruthless uh, messages or anything? No, not at all. Not at all. <laughs> I think good. people look at me and they're like, man, I, I'm wasting my time on that redneck. So. <laughs> But well, anyway. that's another thing. It's funny about when I was talking to the governor about this commissioner position, you know, and, and really John Bear is the reason I, I, you know, jumped all in and said, okay, let's do this because he was on the board of directors for Utah for six years. He was on the rack board for eight. He has committed a lot of his time and energy in volunteering for Utah's, oh, yeah. um, you know, wildlife division. So he really encouraged me to take it. You know, there's good, there's going to be good days, bad days. You're unfortunately, when you make one side of an issue happy, you're going to make another side super, you know, if you increase the cat tags, believe it or not, the hunters are excited, but the houndsmen are ticked because they don't want you to kill the cats. They want to treat the cats. And like, there's right. all these intricacies, right. That go into every single issue. And when I was talking to the governor, I said, well, like, can you give me a little like understanding of, of, like how much hate mail am I going to get or how much, you know, uh, name calling or editorial pieces are they going to be written about me and this, that. I said, I, I feel like I've got pretty thick skin because I have on a TV show for a decade, you know, yeah. and I loved his response. He said, well, you're going to get it, but you have my permission as governor of Montana to not ever have to answer to anyone who leaves you a scathing message who who is disrespectful, name calls or quite frankly, um, you know, is not even in Montana because you'll get a lot of that too. Yeah, and no it kidding. makes me a little nervous like, having a public phone number and a public email. And But I loved the fact that he stood so tall behind that and said, you have my permission as governor to not call back or not respond to anyone who thinks it's okay to be disrespectful and rude yeah. regarding any issue. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Er, earlier you mentioned, you know, so the, the occasionally the B or C word comes out. Oh, yeah. Next time that comes up, just say, "Hey, you know what? You spell killer with a K. Remember that." <laughs> so, Ooh, I like yeah, that. Yeah, I like that. So, well, I I know, and it's it's neat because I've had a chance to visit with John, and and uh, man, he is such a pro, and he's so great to work with. Uh, you know, the only bad thing is I. I don't know why, but I typically have to follow him on the podium at convention. And so you get John <laughs> with this big booming voice and the cowboy hat. Yeah. And I'm just, then I have to go up there after that. So that's a little, you know, a bit well, of a letdown for people. I know. I hear you there. I'm, I'm, I'm actually emceeing Saturday night's dinner at the Western Hunt Expo this February. Nice. Yeah. And I'm a little like, I'm not sure I want to share the stage with Mr. John Bear because he's just got this dynamic presence and, you know, here and voice that I can't tell you how many people are like, oh, his voice to me. And I'm like, I know, I know. I feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'll be up there with my Wisconsin accent and uh, hopefully entertaining the crowd a little bit. You, That's hey, good. You know what's funny? I just thought of this. 
So is your podcast audio or visual? Can people watch your podcast as well as just listen or no? Yes, they can do both. Okay, so those, so I'm going to brag on John here a minute and show people. That is his Colorado buck with a bow. Isn't that's that, a stud. Isn't that the, the most beautiful mule? Can you see it as the lighting back? Oh, yeah. We can yeah. totally see it. Yeah, yeah. Go up. Just there you go. Right there. Uh, I got to brag on him a little bit there. I can tell you one thing. I, I've arrowed some muleys. Nothing like that monster. You know, I don't know that I've ever seen a mule deer that big. I grew, <laughs> up, I grew up in muley country. I can that's, tell you I never have. Not on the yeah. hoof. No way. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I have at convention, but yeah. by that time they they've been down for a while, so well, I've never seen out, a mule deer that. If way. that's not a reason for people to go to the next Pope and Young convention, it, that was so fun to see that the room filled with those incredible mounts. The taxidermy work alone, like I love taxidermy. In fact, you know, my house is filled with taxidermy, and I love good pieces. I've got. I, I'm pretty proud of my collection. I think they're all really beautiful. I don't have any of the cats that are like, eh, or, you know, right, right. Um, but uh, just the the size of the animals and the taxidermy work is worth going to convention alone. I was so impressed with that room at Pope and Young. And you know what, Jana, this year, COVID closed the border. So we didn't even have any of the Canada stuff. Imagine how it's going to be in 23. Yeah. When we have every 120 animals that were there this time. Yeah. Plus another 30 or 40 from Canada. We're going to have to go completely around that whole room. Yeah. It's going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be. In the same spot, right? It is. Yep. We're going back to Reno in 23. We're excited about it. And, uh, can't well, wait to see you there. I'll tell you what, judging by the looks of that, that mule deer may very well be in at display that convention. <laughs> it should be. It's impressive. It's impressive. Yeah. Well, so, I'm, uh, I will be there for sure. Excellent. Well, we look forward to seeing you there. You know, one of the things that we do on every podcast, every single episode is we ask our guests, when you find yourself in the tree or on the mountain, what is one piece of equipment or gear, maybe a non-traditional type item that you can't live without while you're out in the woods? Ooh, well, that's, that's a good question. I would bet almost everybody. So not including your weaponry, is that fair to yeah, say? Yeah, that, that one, you can't, <laughs> can't be like your gun or your bow. We, you know, we did let Steve Felix say his, his 12 power swaros. <laughs> for a binocular but he's got a world record so you know you, you make you you know we let him have that but yeah something like non-traditional and we've had some phenomenal answers well this is going to sound like it's so uh sponsory answered but um it is true like especially even the hunt i just got off of and my sheep hunt coming up i wouldn't be able to do a diy hunt without onyx onyx maps onyx okay. hunt map I really wouldn't. And I, I get the question all the time in, um, of, of like, what is a modernized tool that you use that's so critical? And being a public land hunter, um, like just the, just this last week, the area that we were in in Utah, back, you'd think, oh, it's all public land. No, they're these really weird chunks of private yeah. and they're not square shaped. They're, they're going off this way and like, I wasn't sure where the boundaries were. And so I had to have Onyx back there. And now mind you, I was with Polly and D and that's where they hunt all the time. But he was, we were constantly looking at it and showing, he's like, oh, that hillside's off the, and you wouldn't, 
you're back in the middle of nowhere. You wouldn't think that right. would be private. And same thing with my sheep hunt. I wouldn't be able to do it DIY without on X. And I, they now have a 3D. You can go online on your laptop and look. And it's like scouting from an airplane. It is wow. 3D to where you can say like, oh, I'm not hike that. I, I thought I could hike in there, but it's really cliff-facey. Right. It's like super, super steep, which granted the sheep might be on it, but like, that's not where I need to go in. I need to go over here. And this looks very sheep country. And I, I don't think I'd be able to, I think I would have to have help if I didn't have Onyx. All right. Well, we will put that one on the list and we've had some great conversations with them just working on, um, you know, they've expressed interest in coming in as a partner and, you know, obviously you want to, you know, partner up with the the great organizations. And so they're yeah. on the list. We're just trying to figure out where the right fit is for, you know, Pope and Young and Onyx to, to partner up on something. So yeah, they're really Dylan? good. I've literally, they're out of Missoula where I live. So I've been partnered with them since day one as well. Uh, and it's really funny, fun watching them grow. They have blown up in the last decade, like yeah. insane. And it's, it's great because they literally started in, I think Eric's garage Yeah, and you know, Eric, the Eric Siegfried, the owner, he's just a genius. And they, the tools that have, they've developed within the app are fantastic. I mean, even as something as simple as, um, I don't go out hunting a lot on my own, but once in a while I'll do, I'll have an afternoon and I still got a bear tag in my pocket. And I mark the truck every time because if I'm in there alone and I drop off after any kind of animal and, and it gets dark, especially if I'm taking care of an animal, I, I don't necessarily want to go back the way I came in on the old skitter logging road or something. I might want to yeah. cut over this mountain. And so I mark my truck with, you know, a simple pen tool. And there's so many little things like that, that make me as an individual and as a woman hunter feel just way more secure to be able to get out there and do it myself. Yeah. Well, that's great. Well, Dylan put that one on the list and uh, we may need to reach back out to them. Who knows? Maybe we'll have a corporate partner announcement along with this episode drop. That would so, be awesome. <laughs> but, uh, anyway, well, Jana, thank you so much for being a wonderful ambassador, a great hunter and a good friend to bow hunting archery and to Pope and young. Uh, we really, it was a pleasure to have you in Reno this year at convention. I appreciate your, appreciate your help last year at the, with the auction and raffle and can't wait to see you in 23 back there in Reno. Well, thank you so much. Like I said, I'm excited to go back as well. I'm excited to hopefully get some of my animals in the record books. And, uh, I thought we'd have a talk. I got to mention really funny because I think it's so cute that um, I figured you'd ask me what my first bow was back in the day. And uh, I have to say it was proudly a Darton Jr. <laughs> a dart, that's not the first time we've heard that either. Really? <laughs> Somebody was just on the other day that that was, um, I don't remember who that was, but that was their first bow. Oh, yeah. Or maybe Very their easy. first compound. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's been a true pleasure. And like I say, I, I'm so excited I got to go to the convention with John because I'm re-energized about Pope and Young. I want to get more involved. I love what you're doing moving forward to protect our hunting heritage and uh, let me know how more how I can help in any other way. Will do. Thank you so much, Jana. Have a great day. Thank you. You too.